A few years ago, I read an article with a provocative title, What Religion Would Jesus Belong To? I know the answer to that question seems rather obvious. Jesus has a religion named after him, after all. Why wouldn't he belong to that one? The point of the article, however, was just how far religious traditions can drift from the visionary figures they're built around. Religions often sprout from the teachings of a charismatic and visionary individual, breaking boundaries all over the place. And as they become more established over time, they can drift quite far from those beginnings. It can happen with any tradition, and it has certainly happened with Christianity over the centuries. Would Jesus recognize himself in the religion that bears his name today? Jesus was a wandering Jewish teacher from a tiny village of peasants. He surrounded himself with people on the margins, with folks who were hungry, sick, poor, or ostracized by their neighbors. He spoke incessantly about the dangers of wealth and the dignity of all people and the summons to forgive even our enemies. He picked fights with those in power and ended up executed by the state for the threat he posed to the status quo. So would he recognize himself in a religion that has in many places moved from the margins to the center? A religion that has often become entangled with struggles for political power, that has often found itself defending an unjust status quo rather than opposing it, that has often been more concerned with minute questions of belief than with the treatment of the most vulnerable, that has often been used to build and maintain barriers rather than to bring them down, to exclude rather than to include. What religion would Jesus belong to? It's maybe not such a bad question, after all. Here's another way for us Christians maybe to phrase that. What does a Jesus-shaped Christianity really look like? I can't think of a better place for starting to look for an answer to that question than the Beatitudes. This is where Jesus' teaching begins in the Gospel of Matthew. Up to this point in this Gospel, we've heard relatively few words from Jesus himself, a few rebuttals to the devil in the wilderness, a brief follow me to some fishermen by the seashore, the short proclamation that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then at the start of chapter five in Matthew, Jesus looks around at the crowds that have begun to gather, described by Matthew this way. The sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics. He looks around at that crowd, and he goes up to a high place with his newly called disciples and starts to teach. And these are the first words that come out of his mouth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' public ministry begins with this famous visit back home to Nazareth and him standing up in the synagogue and reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah with these words. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That's that Gospel's version of sort of a summary statement of all that Jesus will go on to do all that he will teach and embody with his life. In Matthew, the Beatitudes are like that. 
It all begins here with these surprising, poetic, and always confounding statements about what blessedness looks like, about where true blessing is to be found. So if you are looking for a Jesus-shaped Christianity, I can't think of a better place to start than here, than the Beatitudes. Jesus' ethic and values and upside-down way of looking at the world are all on full display here. It's not the rich who are blessed, but the poor in spirit. It's not the powerful who are blessed, but the meek. It's not the domineering who are blessed, but the merciful. It's not the glamorous who are blessed, but the pure in heart. You cannot read those statements without sensing their challenge to conventional ways of seeing. All those things that society tells us are so central to life. Money and power and status and influence, they're all turned on their head in Jesus' proclamation here. True blessedness looks like something very different, something much humbler, something much closer to the life that Jesus himself lived. You can't miss the Beatitudes' challenge to commonly held values. But there is always that question about just what we mean by that word blessed or blessed. In common usage today, to be blessed is to be fortunate. We say we're blessed if we have good weather for a picnic, or we're blessed to be part of a good community. It was a blessing for me to receive birthday greetings from so many of you last week. And that is one way you can think about the language of blessing in the Beatitudes. The Greek word that Matthew, the in, used there in Matthew that we translate as blessed can also be translated as fortunate or even happy. I do think lots of us struggle with just what that means, though, to equate happiness with many of the states that Jesus describes here, with meekness or persecution or mourning. So I was interested to read one commentator this week who advocates a different sense for that word, blessed, here in Matthew. He notes that in Hebrew, of course, the language of the Old Testament, one of the main words for blessing means to be on the right path. Like in Psalm 1, blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. Here, blessing isn't so much about happiness or good fortune, but about heading in the right direction. You are on the right path if you are delighting in God's word. And if we take that sense of blessing in reading the Beatitudes, that sense of being on the right road, they have quite a different ring to them. Those who are poor in spirit are on the right path. They don't imagine that they are invincible, full of all the answers, dependent on no one. They know that like everyone else, they are truly beggars, students, recipients of the gift of life rather than masters of it. They know plenty about the kingdom of heaven. Those who are mourning are on the right path. They have opened themselves to the richness of life, to loving and being loved, to caring about others enough to feel loss when they are gone. The only life without mourning is a life without love. And these people know that. They will be comforted. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are on the right path. 
They know that all the stuff we try so often to fill ourselves up with, possessions and entertainment, distractions and enticements, don't actually add up to a meal in the end. They know that a life aligned with God and rich in relationships is what will truly satisfy. They will be filled. Those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake are on the right path. They know that following God's ways of justice and mercy will put you at odds with the world around you sometimes. They know it can get you into good trouble with the powers that be. And they know that that trouble is nothing compared to the grace of walking with God. They too know plenty about the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes make more sense to me this way. When they're not exactly about being fortunate or happy, but more about being on the path of life as Jesus taught it. They are still plenty challenging. They still overturn common notions of success, but now they are signposts on the way, trail markers to keep pointing us toward Jesus's footsteps. I hope you heard the news that a week ago yesterday, the 50th country signed the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. This means that 50 countries in the world have agreed to a comprehensive ban on the development, testing, production, stockpiling, stationing, transfer, use, and threat of use of nuclear weapons. These countries have all pledged to be part of a future free from the most destructive tools humans have ever created. And the 50th signature means that the treaty will go into effect shortly, creating a new standard in international law. It is a big deal, and it's been in the works for a long time. It's the result of decades of persistent work by organizers and churches, advocates and citizens, not to mention members of our congregation. And that work sure sounds like the Beatitudes to me. It sounds like hungering and thirsting for righteousness, like being merciful and seeking to be peacemakers. Those who are working for a more just and compassionate world are on the right path. The Beatitudes keep pointing the way for us as they always have for the saints. So I'd like to offer a suggestion for all of you over the coming week. Try reading through the Beatitudes each morning before you get into the action of your day. They are right there in today's bulletin, so you could just keep that handy. Read through these strange blessings each day and let them be signposts for you this week. Notice what they draw your attention to as you go about your days. Notice if they leave you looking at something in your life or in the world around you in a different light. Notice if they seem to tug you in a different direction somewhere. Let them do their work in you and see what happens. Friends, there is plenty of anxiety in the air these days with the pandemic striking close to home for many and regulations that keep changing and this little election coming up that some of us are thinking about this week. Remember that we are not left alone or without direction. Jesus's words, those strange and gracious blessings, keep pointing the way for us. And Jesus promises to walk with us as we go. So pay attention to the signposts and keep up the journey. Thanks be to God. Amen.